Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I am Jennifer and this is episode 84. Everybody's still talking about Chris Rock and Will Smith? No? Good. Let's move on. So, big news. I actually got a haircut this week. Now, I had, I was thinking that I hadn't had a haircut in two years. And I think I even told a couple of people that, that I haven't had a haircut since, you know, COVID broke out back in 2020. But that's not true. I forgot that I had a haircut. Uh, I think it was, it was before I went to Las Vegas. So maybe like October, November of last year. Remember, guys, when I did that episode where I was talking about like chopping all of my hair off? And I ended up chickening out and just getting it trimmed. So I don't know if I forgot about it because it was just a trim, but I had completely forgotten about it. But I had my hair cut and let me tell you, like, <laughs> the I should say the majority of the last two years, I've been cutting my hair myself whenever I felt, you know, it was like getting a little too out of control. And that's not really as big a deal as it may sound like, because I feel like I've been, I've always cut my own hair. You know, like I've never been afraid to do stuff to my hair. I've been dyeing my hair since I've, I was, I don't know, 16, 17, something like that. Started cutting my hair probably right around that same age. I've, I've never had my hair professionally dyed. I've never had like, well, (laughs) this is going to sound stupid to say now, but when I was a kid, perms were very much the thing. And I refused to do that kind of stuff to my hair. Not because I didn't want to fit in with everybody else. I mean, of course I did, but I, my hair is weird. It's, it's not straight or curly. It's thick. I have a lot of it. It's kind of on the dry coarse side. It has kind of like this weird, not quite a wave thing and it will frizz in an instant if I'm not careful. So because I have this kind of weird hair that just has a mind of its own, I've never been afraid of it. You know, like I'll, I'll just take scissors to it or dye it or flat iron it or, you know, whatever. But I was out the other day and I've known for a while that I needed to get a haircut. I've cut my hair I don't know, two or three times in the last six months myself, just trims and stuff. And, and, um, I was out the other day and I went past, it's not, it's not like super cuts, but it's, it's pretty much super cuts, but that's not the name of the chain down here. And, um, it was empty. So I was like, yeah, you know, I, I really should just go and have a professional, you know, clean up my mess. And, you know, that, that's basically what she did. I, you know, she just had to like clean up the layers. I have bangs that I'm growing out. Those were a mess. So she fixed those for me. As soon as I got in the chair, I told her, you know, that I've been cutting my hair myself. You know, I, I completely forgot about the haircut I had like six months ago. And so I told her I've been cutting my own hair for the last two years. And she laughed and she said, all right, well, <laughs> let's, let's see what I have to deal with here. And she went through it and she looked at it and she actually said like, hey, you know, it's not bad. Like, you know, it's it, there's a couple of spots where I can see the layers need to be evened out, you know, especially in the back because it's difficult for me to cut the back of my head. Um, 
But what she said was that, you know, she's basically seen a lot worse, like, you know, pandemic at home haircuts in the last two years, which, you know, I guess made me, made me feel better. So, you know, I left there and it, it felt better. It didn't look any different to me. You know, it's like, all right, well, whatever. She, she cleaned up a little bit, whatever. But the next day, when I got up and I showered and I actually like went through my normal hair routine, um, most of the time, if I can, I will just let my hair air dry because it's just best for it. But when I don't have time to let it air dry, I, I have this like hair routine that I do. And I realize that this is not going to matter to most people listening. But if you have weird hair like me, it might make a difference because it took me a long time to get down this routine. Leave-in conditioner, of course. Hate protectant, always. Um, I use a curl cream. Absolute must is a uh, diffuser for your hair dryer. Put it on the lowest airspeed and the lowest temperature. Do not scrunch your hair while you're blow drying. Just kind of pile it onto the diffuser and hold the diffuser close to the roots and just, you know, leave it there. And you don't have to worry because it's on low temperature and low airspeed. So it's, it's not going to damage your hair and just move it around. And for years, I was told, do not fully blow dry your hair. But that may work for most people. But if you have my weird hair, my kind of half wavy frizz hair, and you step outside into anything that's more than 10% humidity, it will instantly frizz. Your hair has to be completely dry. So whether that means you completely dry it with a blow dryer or you mostly dry it with a blow dryer and then let it completely air dry, whatever. After I did my routine and I had had my hair cut, I could not believe the difference. Huge difference. I mean, my hair actually behaved in a way that it hasn't in a really, well, probably two years. It looked great. She did a great job. The haircut cost me $18, $18 well spent. I will definitely go back, but I haven't seen like this sort of uh, healthy, actually a curl in my hair, no frizz. I was blown away. I mean, I guess this is why you pay a professional <laughs> to do certain things. And that's pretty much the most exciting thing that happened to me this week, but um I was also, the other day I went shopping and I came home and I had gone to the supermarket, you know, I came home and I had like taken my groceries out of the bags and I started like gathering up all my bags and I was kind of laughing to myself because, you know, there's this joke about, you know, how many of you, you are like, you know, you're an adult when you have one plastic bag to hold all of your other plastic bags, right? And of course I do. So I'm kind of like folding them up or scrunching them up to make them small enough so I can cram as many in there as I can. And I was thinking, I remembered um, when I saw my niece uh, in Las Vegas a few months ago, she was basically collecting used plastic grocery bags because she lives in New York. And in her area of New York, they've banned plastic grocery bags or Maybe not completely ban them, but you have to 
pay for them if you want them. I'm, I'm not really sure. I know there are areas of California that have completely banned them and other areas of the country that have completely banned them. And I was like thinking about that. And then later on that day, I actually just happened across an article and it basically was talking about like the unforeseen negative effects of getting rid of the plastic shopping bags. Because what it was basically saying is that most people think that those groceries, plastic grocery bags are just a one-time use, but they're not, right? I mean, you don't use them once and take them home and throw them in the garbage. You collect them and you use them to like line your small garbage can, you know, that might be in your bathroom or um, if you're a pet owner, you know, to, to clean up your cat litter or your, your dog mess or, you know, whatever. Never are those bags single use. But now that people don't have them, there's been a huge increase in the purchase of small plastic garbage bags, you know, smaller than your average kitchen sized can. In California alone, areas with the ban saw an increase of the, the small ones, the four gallon, the increase was 55 to 75%. And the next size up, which is the eight gallon, increase of 87 to 110% um, increase in purchase since the ban. I mean, and, and then that doesn't even factor in the fact that those trash bags that are made specifically for trash, they're actually made to be thicker, obviously, and stronger than like your grocery bag. And so that's even more plastic that is being produced just for those. And I was thinking about it and I was like, now, you know, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it does kind of make you wonder, I mean, how is this an unintended consequence? Everyone knows that those are not single-use plastic shopping bags. Everyone has, you know, saves them and uses them for something else. So, I, I don't know, it just, like, kind of made me wonder, you know, like, what actually is going on here? I mean, I think, you know, the ban was well-intentioned. I just don't think it was that well thought out. At least the trash bag manufacturers are making out, I guess. TV podcast recommendations. I don't have any new podcast recommendations this week. And for TV, most of my TV time was spent watching season two of Bridgerton, which is now available on Netflix. You guys know I love this show. I loved season one. I talked about it you know, last year when it came out. I think it's great. I'm a huge Shonda Rhimes fan. I love most of what she puts out. Um, I did, I watched the whole season. I loved it. It was great. I don't like read articles on it before it comes out because they're all filled with spoilers. So I didn't really know what to expect. Um, after I finished the season, I read a little bit. So I know that like the series is based on a series of books and that the books focus on a different main character or a different member of the Bridgerton family. So like the first season was mostly Daphne and of course Simon. And so this season um, focused mostly on Antony. 
And of course, you know, Lady Whistle, <laughs> Whistle Down herself, you know, uh, Penelope Featherington, I think. Um, so, you know, it was really good. If, if you are a big fan of Simon, I hate to disappoint, but you won't see him in season two. Um, Daphne is around a little bit, you know, but but very much like a secondary character. Um, it's It was really good. I really liked it. I love the show. It's really well done. You know, it, it didn't matter to me that, like, you know, Simon and Daphne w- weren't part of season two. You know, I, honestly, I don't really care which character they choose to focus on or which family member they choose to focus on. I'm, I'm looking forward to season three. I think that's probably going to be about Benedict, but I don't know. Um, there is one thing if I had if I had to find like one thing to criticize it's the music and it's not because it's not good. It's because I'm not good. I I love it. I think it's great, but season 1 I found myself really distracted by it because I would hear it. I would sort of recognize it. But what they take they do is they take these you know, current pop hits and they turn them into like, um, you know, classical orchestral version. And like, I can't focus on anything else until I figure out what the song is that is playing. And so I would like rewind and listen and, you know, try to figure it out and be like, oh God, it's so familiar. And then finally I would just like, just give give up and, you know, Google it. But I don't know who had the idea to like remix modern music into a sweeping dramatic orchestral version, but it is brilliant. It's also really distracting, but season two, completely by accident, because I was watching something before that and the, um, it was, a it was an Irish, crime drama and their accents were really really heavy i was having a hard time understanding them and so i turned on the closed captions which then stayed on when bridgerton started and i realized and discovered if you have the closed captions on and the song starts playing it tells you the name of the song (laughs) so if you also were distracted by the music or trying to figure out what the song was just turn on your closed captions and it'll tell you right away Okay, guys, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get back. Let's get to this week's topic. We're back. So earlier this week, I saw an article saying that Lizzo has created a line of shapewear made specifically for overweight consumers. Their words, not mine. Lizzo was quoted in the article describing the line, saying it will allow wearers to feel fun and exciting and sexy, and added that it is, quote, not an invitation to change something about yourself in a negative way, end quote. And while I think that sentiment is great, I have to admit, I'm struggling with the whole body positive movement. Regular listeners already know, but in case you're new, I'll admit and state up front that I have struggled with my own body positive issues my entire life. So maybe I'm a bit biased when it comes to this issue. That being said, I feel like we are constantly receiving mixed messages when it comes to being overweight. 
just to be clear, I'm not talking about someone who is, you know, like just carrying around a few extra pounds. I'm talking about the medical condition of being overweight or obese. The terms overweight and obese are often interchanged, but medically they are two different conditions. And 10 pounds can make the difference between being diagnosed as overweight or obese because it's all based on the body mass index chart, which is problematic in itself, but that's a topic for another day. On one hand, science tells us that obesity or being overweight, that it's detrimental to our health on many levels. We are told that being overweight is profoundly debilitating and is directly associated with things like high blood pressure, heart disease, which is the number one killer of adults in the U.S. Things like diabetes, heart attack, stroke, even some cancers are associated with being overweight or obese. And we're encouraged to do what we can to lower our BMI in order to avoid these conditions. We're told that it isn't about looking good in a bikini, that it is about our overall health. On the other side of the argument, you have the body positive movement people being led by Lizzo, Mindy Kalig, Ashley Graham, all beautiful, smart, talented women who are telling us that size doesn't matter. I have to admit, when I look at someone like Ashley Graham, even though I realize that I am seeing, you know, uh, highly retouched professional photos of her, I still think to myself, I'd be pretty positive about my body, too, if I had body that looked like yours. I mean, maybe she's not a size two, but she is perfectly proportioned. She has that perfect hourglass figure. Not that I'm obsessed with body image or anything. While scrolling through Instagram, we see images telling us that beautiful comes in all sizes. But we also have to deal with Ads for weight loss, pills, teas, powders, every fourth post. Pick up any fashion magazine and you'll find the same thing. Articles dedicated to helping us love and accept our body as it is. Interspersed with recipes for chocolate cake. Not to mention the glossy ads filled with real thin models. Now, can I just... I'm going to just go on a little tangent here for a second now that we're speaking of rail thin models. I have never really enjoyed the process of clothes shopping. You know, the the actual in-person where you have to get in your car, go to the store, sift through clothes to try to find something that you think is your size. Not to mention the demoralizing, exhausting dressing room experience to settle on something that you're not thrilled with, but you don't have a choice because you need a dress to go to that event that you don't even really want to go to, but you're already committed to going and you're not the kind of person who backs out on your commitments. So because of all that, I prefer online shopping. The two places I shop at most are Amazon and Zulily. I love them both because they have a wide selection. The quality is usually pretty good. Customer service is always good, and they're relatively inexpensive. But my biggest gripe is, can they get some models who aren't a size extra small so that someone like me, who wears a large or sometimes extra large, sometimes even extra, extra large, so that I can get a somewhat accurate idea of what it will look like on me? 
Is that asking for too much? Apparently it is. Now, I realize that this whole fat versus thing, you know, thin thing, you know, it's not probably in the top 10 of things worth arguing about in our day-to-day lives. Not unless you're one of the 36.5% of Americans who are considered obese or the other 32.5% of Americans who fall into the overweight category. Full disclosure, I checked the BMI chart, and according to that, I'm considered overweight. I would have to lose about 20 pounds to be in the healthy range. That being said, every other one of my levels, my cholesterol, my blood sugar, creatine, adrenals, they are all good. They're all in the healthy range. It's just that darn number on the scale that I can't seem to get a handle on. Medical reports in recent years tell us that obesity in Americans has skyrocketed, which really should come as no surprise to anyone who has lived through the last two years. My entire life, I believe that fat equaled bad, that it was not a comfortable, healthy lifestyle. Those who have lived their lives as overweight or obese will tell you that, is the, that it is the only remaining acceptable stereotype. But I have to admit, I'm guilty of it too. Maybe so are you. Maybe there's been a time when you've been on a plane or a bus or a train and the seat next to you is empty and you look up and down the aisle comes an obese person. And you quickly avoid eye contact and say a silent prayer that they pick any other seat other than the one that's next to you. About 10 years ago, I worked for a manufacturing company. And because I worked in HR for that company, I got to sit in on interviews. And one time we were interviewing for one of the office positions. And a woman came in. She was about my age, uh, mid-40s or so. She was also overweight. She was smart, kind, funny, more than qualified for the position, and did excellent during her interview. The following day, I met with my manager to review the candidates and advance our choices to the next round of interviews, and I noticed that she wasn't being considered for the position. And when I asked my manager about it, he didn't specifically say it was due to her weight. He said something else, like that the job had physical requirements that he didn't think she would be able to meet. The position was like, you know, accounts payable. What physical requirements? Typing? Walking to the copier? Carrying a ream of paper? Even though he didn't say it, I knew she was being rejected because she was overweight. And just like everything else that starts out with good intentions, there have in recent years been people coming forward to voice their opposition to the body positive movement. And not just healthcare professionals or health nuts. Even taking the number on the scale out of the equation, Negative body image seems to be the norm among American women, with the recent studies showing that 85%, 85% of women are dissatisfied with their bodies. 
This is further complicated by the fact that body image is processed in multiple parts of our brain. So you can literally feel different about your body from day to day or even hour to hour. I found one article written by a self-described quote-unquote fatso who took real issue with the body positive movement, saying it seemed that it still emphasized body shape over health, appreciation, and functionality of our bodies. Saying like, you know, sure, my body isn't perfect, but it does what it needs to do to get me through every day. The author went on to say that the body positive movement has created an unhealthy culture that allows people to disregard the medical complications that often come with being obese. This isn't entirely about weight. We all know overweight people who are healthy and skinny people who aren't. The issue that many have with the body positive movement is that it seems to put a larger emphasis on appearance and less on overall health. Proponents of the movement disagree, saying that their focus is not on appearance at all, but on self-esteem, self-love, self-acceptance, self-confidence at any size. However, not everyone sees it that way. I found an article on gauntlet.com called The Body Positive Movement Has Got to Go. In it, it's said that the main target of the movement appears to be those who are considered overweight or obese. If loving yourself means you shouldn't do anything to change your body, then this movement has essentially been telling those people with an unhealthy lifestyle to keep up their bad habits. Article adds that the body positive movement actually deflates individuals instead of empowering them by telling people that they don't have the potential to look the way they want to, so they might as well just get comfortable with their appearance. While the body positive movement may seem like something relatively new, it actually dates back to the 1850s. A movement called Victorian Dress Reform aimed to put an end to women having to wear those tight corsets in order to modify their waists and fit into societal standards. The main goal was acceptance of all body types, regardless of your waist measurements. More than a century later, the movement inspired the creation of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. This was in 1969, and its aim was to stop discrimination based on body weight. According to the NAAFA website, their goal is to eliminate discrimination based on body size and provide fat people with the tools of self-empowerment through public education, advocacy, and member support. After reading all and researching that I did for this this week, I have to say, I'm really torn on the issue. As someone who has been overweight and at times even obese throughout my life, I can say and appreciate what the body positive movement is trying to accomplish. You know, beauty standards should not be based on what size you wear, but I also know that the more overweight you are, the more at risk you are for some very serious health issues. I can't help but think about it in terms of smoking. We know it's not good for us. We know how we will be treated as smokers in society. We know that continuing to smoke is literally inhaling poison. 
knowing all that, how would you feel about a, uh, you know, national association to advance the rights of anyone who chooses to smoke, even though they know it's bad for that movement? You'd think that was crazy, right? Well, you're probably saying I'm comparing apples to oranges, but I'm not so sure. Science tells us that both obesity and smoking are bad for us. So why are we promoting one and demonizing the other? A study that was recently conducted in 2019 by research journal Obesity says that BPM and an increase in size plus acceptance is preventing overweight adults from recognizing the extent of their weight gain and promoting unhealthy habits. In the study, researchers surveyed more than 23,000 adults considered overweight or obese, according to their BAS body, uh, <laughs> body mass index. And they gauged their perception of their weight against how much they actually weigh. <laughs> this is going to come to no surprise to anyone listening. Men were more likely to underestimate their weight. <laughs> Why does that make me laugh? I mean, like, of course they were. Men in general, almost 60% of those participating in the study seem to have had a skewed perception of their size as compared to only 30% of women who underestimated their weight. It was no surprise that researchers found that people who underestimated their weight were 85% less likely to attempt to lose weight than those who had a more realistic view of their weight. Now, even though I may be on the fence regarding this whole body positive movement thing, I think we can all agree that the basic ideals of the movement, they're not bad, right? People should not be mistreated because of their weight or discriminated against or stereotyped. We should never feel pressured to get our bodies to fit into some model, you know, this idea, someone else's idea of thinness. As far as I can tell, I have half of society telling me that I need to lose weight and the other half telling me I should be happy with whatever size I'm at, whether it be for my health or, you know, just wider societal acceptance. Now, the ones that are telling me I should be happy with my size no matter what size I am, I don't disagree with that. I do believe, though, that all of my issues, my body image issues, they're rooted in my self-esteem and they have little to nothing to do with the number on the scale. But for me, this body positive movement thing it complicates everything. It creates this dichotomy of being judged for being fat or judged because I'm not loving myself enough. Kimberly Hirschron, a therapist with years of experience treating eating disorders and weight issues, says she finds the body positive movement to be an unrealistic expectation, saying people in general struggle to love their bodies. Someone who has struggled with body image issues cannot suddenly change from body hatred to loving the way we look. Hirschhorn suggests that we start viewing our bodies, you know, just as it is. Just a body. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just 
a body. Dr. Deb Thompson is a bit harsher in her criticism of the BPM movement, saying, Obesity is clearly recognized by the world and national health organizations as a leading risk factor in disease and death. The body positive movement's denial of science is troubling. It seems there are no real winners here. Most people are stuck in this weird limbo between fat phobia and body positivity. Model Ashley Graham got criticized for losing weight, but also got crap for promoting obesity when she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. People who try to slim down to get lots of positive attention, you know, when, when they first start to lose the weight, and and then suddenly they lose too much. And then, you know, family members and their friends start telling them they don't look good. They need to stop losing weight because now they're getting too skinny. Now it's not healthy. You feel like you can never win. So do what feels best for you. So what if you don't have a perfect body? Are you happy? Are you healthy? Put the idea of the perfect body out of your head because, and I hate to spoil this for you, the perfect body, it doesn't exist because you won't appreciate it when you have it. Looking back on the last 30 years or so of my life, I've had what I would now consider, you know, quote unquote, the perfect body. But I don't ever remember being happy or accepting my body just as it is. I'm still not happy. And I know that the majority of work that needs to be done is internal. I'm working on it (laughs) and I'm learning to appreciate my well-functioning body. It's a good place to start. Another good, albeit shallow, (laughs) fact that is currently bolstering me. In doing my research, I came across an article written by a gorgeous, you know, supposed plus-size woman who didn't appear to be plus-size to me at all. Turns out, she and I had the exact same body measurements. If I can look at her and see her body is beautiful, Maybe, just maybe, I can get there with my own. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 84. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, My So-Called Midlife Podcast, and like the Facebook page, My So-Called Midlife Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at jjoy316. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen. Spotify listeners, leave a review. Five stars only, please. If you have questions or topic suggestions, you can email me at my so-called midlifepodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Love you. Bye.